0: Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning, my name is TJ, uh, and our teaching text for this morning is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, and it says this. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks be to God. (coughs) Well, good morning and happy new year How is everybody this morning? Good good great anybody tired stay up till midnight last night (coughs) Uh, If you haven't already I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Matthew chapter 28 As you're turning there. uh, I want to continue this posture of worship uh, in a word of prayer (coughs) So Father, we've heard your word. We've sung your your name, praises to your holy name. We've briefly reminded ourselves of your presence. And so Lord, now I ask that you would take the truths we just sung and we just heard and you would allow us to just sit in them for a minute, to reflect on them, to take confidence in them, to take joy in them, that you are changing us. You're changing everything. Lord, as we look at what it means to follow you, as we look at where you've brought us last year and where we're going this year, I pray, Lord, that you would just give us clean hands, a pure heart, an expectant heart, a soft heart, not one of stone but one that's sensitive to your still, small voice. God, open our ears. Calm our minds. Satisfy us as a psalmist pray, uh, prays with your steadfast love. Father, our hearts are wandering. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Incline our hearts, tune our hearts to sing your praise. Ultimately, Lord, we want to glorify you. Teach us your ways to love you and to love each other more and more. Jesus, thank you for praying for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for mediating for us. We pray all these things in your triune name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Uh, Part of the joy of a new year is the ability to reflect, right? At the beginning of a year, you're able to take a minute You're able to pause, you're able to reflect on the previous year, and you're able to plan for and prepare for and be expectant for the upcoming year. So that's actually what we're going to do this morning, just uh, in brief, Um, hopefully in brief. Uh, We're going to look back on last year, where the Lord has brought us, the Lord's faithfulness. And we're going to look forward to expectantly to this year, to 2023, to see what the Lord has for us as a body. We are a church body. Christ is our head. We are the body. Um... And ultimately, the goal of this is not just to like, you know, have like a, you know, how Spotify does those like Spotify wrapped things like you can see where you got. It's not it's not the goal of today. It's pretty cool, but it's not the goal of today. The ultimate goal of this is what is constantly and continually being more and more content and aware of the presence of God in our midst. Ultimately, sancti- one, one scholar says sanctification is the process by which your spiritual life and your normal life, the gap between those two becomes less and less. So where you can actually live, you can wake up, you can be like, the Lord is with me today. You can wake up with the psalmist and say, the Lord is my shepherd right now, right here. That's the goal. That's the goal of reflecting, seeing where the Lord has brought us. And that's the goal of, of, of expecting and looking forward to and planning for what's ahead. So that's what we're gonna do today. By the way, we're gonna do this corporately um, together. And I I hope and I pray, and we as the pastors hope and pray that um, what we do corporately is also reflected of what each of us are doing throughout the week, right? So what we do corporately here today is we're reflecting and we're looking forward to. We hope and pray, I hope and pray that that is true of your lives throughout the week, that you're able to take a a moment, whether you've already done it with your family or friends or whatever, and you look back at 2022 and you say, where has the Lord grown me this year? Where has the Lord brought me this year? And you look forward to 2023 and say, what do do I want to see in my life from the Lord? What do I want myself to be this time next year? What kind of a person do I want to be this type next year? I want to be more patient. I want to be more aware of the presence of God. I want to be, I want to read my Bible continually and actually take things from it. I hope what we do here corporately is reflective of what we do individually throughout the week, And if not, there might be a problem in our discipleship to Jesus, um, not just in reflection, but also I hope and pray that what we do corporately is true of us individually in our own discipleship, right? Each week, we sing praises to the Lord. I hope that's true of us throughout the week. Each week when we gather on a Sunday morning, we open the scriptures and we discuss them with other people. I hope and pray that that is true of us as individuals throughout the week. Each week we contemplate, we meditate, we listen to the word of God. I hope and pray that that is true of us throughout the week. Each week we give. We give our time, we give our money, we give what we're good, our gifts, our skills. We give to the church. I hope and pray that that's true of us throughout the rest of the week. Because, because some of the Lord's strictest warnings are to people who worshipped corporately, correctly, who honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him, who went to church on a Sunday morning and sang and didn't sing the rest of the week, who gave on a Sunday morning and didn't give the rest of the week, who read the Bible and heard the scriptures read over them on a Sunday morning and didn't read the Bible and didn't listen to the scriptures read over them throughout the week. Some of the lords in the whole of scripture, his harshest comments are towards people like that and I pray that that is not us. Now, what that doesn't mean is that we don't need the church. Well, if I'm doing it individually throughout the week, then I don't need the church. Now, Cipri- uh, St. Cyprian, a uh, third-century theologian, says you cannot have God as your father without the church as your mother. You can't be a Christian in isolation. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that people in scriptures who received God's condemnation were those who glorified God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. Our goal as a Christ follower is to lessen the gap between our spiritual lives and our normal lives. I'm putting those in air quotes for a reason, because our spiritual lives and our normal lives are not separated. Discipleship, spiritual formation, transformation into the image of Christ looks like that gap between what we do on Sunday mornings and what you do the rest of the week gets smaller and smaller and smaller until you are a person filled with the fruit of righteousness. Outflowing, your natural response isn't impatience, But patience. Your natural response isn't isn't lust, but purity. Now, the next question, of course, is well, how do we do that? I want that. I want that gap to be non-existent anymore. I want my life to fill, be filled with the Spirit and to overflow with the goodness and love of God. We'll get to that answer in a question. Actually, the rest of our lives will be answering that question, but we'll get to that answer uh more specifically in a question. But right now I want to look again a little bit at last year. Well, where, we've, where we've come, and then this upcoming year. Last year, by the grace of God, we were able to start a church. This church launched last year, which is absolutely amazing. The Lord and his sovereignty brought us together, and uh, here we are. We had four small groups that were started. We started equipping ours. Uh, some of you guys taught equipping our classes. Most of you participated, growing in the saving knowledge of Jesus. Um, as Tom just mentioned, we went through the book of Ezra Nehemiah in the summer, We looked at the sovereignty of God. We reminded ourselves weekly of God's sovereignty, of humans' failures, humanity's failures, and God's love and God's sovereignty. This fall, we looked at through the letter to the Philippians, excuse me, and we looked at ultimately what Christian unity and Christian humility are. The way up is down. The needs of others are more important than the needs of ourselves. But more important than just like, you know, the checklist or the tasks of what we did, uh, think about where you were spiritually at this time last year. Think about January 1st, 2022. Where were you spiritually this time last year? Maybe some of us were forgetting the narrative of Scripture that God in his love died for your sins. Maybe some of you were believing the lies that you had to earn God's love. Believing the lies, that, the lies that you can't change. It's just who you are. You can't change. Those are lies. Maybe some of us were lacking community this time last year. The devil loves Christians in isolation. Some of people, some some, uh, uh, the, the more I'm in this role, the more people I hear, some of their lowest moments spiritually were when they were isolated and alone. Maybe that was you this time last year. Maybe that gap between your spiritual life and your normal life, was very, very wide. Where are you now? Where has the Lord brought you now, from last year to today? What has the Lord been teaching you? Because I know for a fact, this right here is not an accident. The Lord is in our midst. The Lord brought us together. Some of you didn't know each other this time last year. Some of you weren't even in Iowa this time last year. But the Lord is here in our midst. Thanks be to God that he would use us. Now, am I saying this so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, go AGC, we did it, we're great. Absolutely not. You don't give, (laughs) there's this illustration, it's kind of funny. You don't give a pizza box credit for the quality of the pizza. Right? You don't give a vessel credit for the quality of the contents that are inside. You don't give a church's busyness, a church's institution, a church's organization, and, or a church's plans credit for the work of the Lord and His risen Spirit. We are Christ's body. He is the head. We are the body. He moves us. We don't move Him. The great temptation that we will face, we are faced, we always face, the great temptation that the church faces is that her own efforts produces results that are not measured by god's kingdom but by the earth's empires paul says in galatians don't be deceived god is not mocked we can't mock god we can't take credit for any of this god is not entertained by our business our programs our numbers man looks at the outward appearance god looks at the heart so what is success for a church what is success for us in our spiritual lives it's interesting you look at paul's letters we looked at one of them last fall but you look at all of them, they always start with a prayer. And I'm always struck by how Paul prays for the churches. You ever think about this? These few passages are going to be on the screen. First, Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says this, And this I pray. What does he pray? That you would, you would really get, you know, you would have a huge influence in your city and you would do this. No, I pray that your love will keep on growing in knowledge. In every kind of discernment, so that you can approve the things that are superior, may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. In Ephesians 1, 17, he says this, I pray for the church of Ephesus that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that what the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you can know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Colossians 1, Paul says this, We are asking, this is our prayer, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, and spiritual understanding. Why? So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. There it is again. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. So what does Paul think a successful year for a church looks like? He th- it looks like people growing in their love for one another and for God. Is your love growing for god and for each other a successful year to paul looks like an awareness and a discernment to be able to sift between truth and lies so that we can improve the things that are pure and superior can you discern between truth and lies the truth of the scriptures and the truth of the holy spirit of god and the lies of the enemy of the world and of the flesh A successful year looks like us being more and more filled with the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness. We are transformed from the inside out. You can't staple an apple onto an apple tree and call it alive. We want to be transformed from the inside out. Have you been transformed from the inside out? Are you filled with the fruit of righteousness? Does love just naturally flow out of your life? Peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A successful year to Paul looks like hearts that are enlightened, our eyes are open, filled with wisdom, walking worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit, strengthened in power, patient through trials. Are you patient through trials? Have you grown in patience in trials? If so, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is a successful year for a church, according to the scriptures, And by God's grace, we have seen glimpses of that here at AGC. Now, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to take a toll of the last year, when you go home today, this next week, whatever, with the family, individually, and not just look at, like, your external accomplishments, like, um, which it's a good thing, you know, X amount of, you know, maybe you got a new job, maybe you got a new house, maybe whatever, big life things, but more so on, on on the spiritual side of things. Has that gap closed between your spiritual life and your normal life? Have there been areas where you used to compartmentalize your your Christianity, but slowly and surely you're, you're being enmeshed, your entire being is one filled with the Spirit? If so, take a toll of the last year and praise God for the growth. Praise God for the growth. Whether it's a Bible reading, whether it's memorizing Scripture, whether it's getting plugged in a small group, ask people too. Ask your spouse, ask your close friends, ask your family. Hey, The Lord's been really teaching me about patience. Have you seen growth in my life in that area this last year? That'll be humbling, right? But it'll be so good for us. We're a family. This is what we do. That's where we've been. Now, where are we going? Our mission at AGC uh, is the same as it was last year. Love God, love others. Jesus says that the entire Bible is summed up in that. Love God, love others and love others, the entire Bible for the, the Christian life, sorry, I should say the Christian life is summed up in loving God and loving others. The entire Bible is summed up in God's love towards humanity and, th- and through Jesus Christ. Um, so our mission, that's our mission, always has been, always will be, that's not new. It's the mission of the church, love God, love others. Admittedly, that's like the top, like that's the big umbrella, that's, the, that's vague, it's, it's huge. Zoom in a little bit from that, how do we do that? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Uh, If you haven't, or if you're there, I want to walk through these couple verses and then get more and more specific as, as we go. So we know that our goal is loving God, loving others. How do we do that? Let's look at Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they, who's the they? 11 disciples. When the 11 disciples saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you and remember I am with you always to the end of the age first thing I want to point out here who is Jesus talking to he's talking to the 11 disciples. Jesus is talking to the 11 disciples, the 11 people that have been following him for three years. What is a disciple? A disciple is a person who follows another person in order to be capable of doing the things that they're doing, okay? A disciple is somebody who follows a person so that they can do what that person they're following is able to do. Think about uh, piano lessons. When I was a kid, I took piano lessons. I was technically a disciple of my piano teacher. Why? My piano teacher could do things that I was not able to do. So I followed them, did what they told me to do. Sometimes. Not all the time. Did what they told me to do and uh, what my parents told me to do (laughs) and uh, ultimately for the goal of what? For being able to be capable of doing the things that my teacher was doing. Right? This, isn't, this isn't rocket science. We do this with working out. We do this with life. We do this with a boss. We do this with uh, a teacher and a student. We do this, whatever. Like, To be a disciple is just simply to follow somebody to be able to do what they did. The 11 disciples fo- followed Jesus Excuse me, in order to be able to do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Jesus lives in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God. Jesus applies that kingdom for the good of others, And Jesus makes it possible for others to enter that kingdom. Right? Jesus lived fully aware of the presence of God in the current moment. Not separated, present, united. Jesus lived in the kingdom of God and on earth. Jesus applied that kingdom for the good of others. What was Jesus, what were the point of Jesus' miracles? To show everybody what the kingdom of heaven was like because there is not going to be any sickness in the kingdom of heaven in the future. So he was healing, showing people what the kingdom of heaven is like, applying that love, that kingdom for the good of others. And finally, he made it possible for others to enter into that kingdom through himself. Follow me, repent and believe. So therefore, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means to live in the kingdom of heaven, not the empires of the earth. It means to apply that kingdom for the good of others. Putting the needs of others above the needs of yourself. And it means making it possible for people to enter that kingdom. Paul says what? Follow me as I follow Christ. A disciple of Jesus requires constant transformation. Constant awareness of the presence of God. So, the 11 disciples are standing there. Some doubted, which, by the way, if you look at verse 17, it says, but some doubted. That always gives me hope because these 11 disciples started the church, and they see Jesus right there at the top of the mountain, and they're just kind of like, mm, yeah, not really, not really sure about this. Yet Jesus, it says he came near. Even though they were doubting, he came near. Do you ever doubt? Do you ever feel like when you doubt, Jesus walks the other way? When they doubted, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Let's stop right there. This is the fuel in the engine of the church. We do not go and make disciples because we think we need to get the authority of heaven and earth on our own. Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, is the only one that has the authority. He is the Lord of the cosmos. And he says, I have everything. I love uh, how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. He says, Jesus says this, Undeterred, he went right away and gave his charge. Go out and train everyone you meet near and far, making them, uh, uh, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up until the end of the age. Jesus' promise was first, I have all the authority, now go and make disciples. Now, let's look at that phrase, beginning of verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. Again, who's he talking to? Disciples. Who's he not talking to? Non-disciples. You cannot make disciples of Christ if you are not a disciple first. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts about. You could get involved in the church. You could become busy with programs. You could get other people to become busy with church things and the right morality and checking the right boxes, but you cannot make disciples of Christ if you are not first a disciple yourself. The reverse is also true. If you are not making disciples of Christ, what might that mean? You might not be a disciple of Christ yourself. What is a disciple? It's somebody who lives in the kingdom of God, who applies that kingdom for the good of others, and who makes it possible for others to enter that kingdom. There's one way to enter the kingdom. There's one way to become a disciple. Jesus says it over and over and over again. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Why? Because he says the kingdom of heaven of up there is actually here now, and you can have it. Repent and believe. Repentance means just, uh, it, it means turning around. It literally means like, like flipping around, like a 180 degree turn. When you're walking one way and you find out that you're going the wrong way, you repent and you go the other way, right? That's literally, that's as simple as what it means. Repent and believe. Belief is not just an intellectual exercise. You don't believe something unless you do something, right? A professor of mine used to, used to ask after we turned in our tests, because you know, in a, in a test, all you, you don't have to believe what you write on a test. You can just check off the answers and then you can turn the test in. He would always joke, he's like, now do you believe what you wrote on the test? And we kind of chuckled, and he was like, no, but seriously, what you wrote here can change your life. If it's a theology exam, do we believe what Jesus is saying? Because if we actually believe it, it will ruin our lives in the best way possible, and we will live unhindered, free, in the spirit of the living God. That's the promise that he has for you. That's what it means to be a disciple. Repent, er, that's that's how you become a disciple. You repent, and you believe, and you just follow Jesus. You do what he did. You spend time with him. You put the needs of others above the needs of yourself. You, you repent. I'm, I, th- I'm, this is clearly a way I should not be going. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go this way. And you believe. I'm not just going to say the words. I'm actually going to try. I'm actually going to do something about it. Now, repentance and belief requires, we're kind of zooming in and f- I hope you follow this train of thought here. Repentance and belief requires change in people. Change is really hard. Nobody likes, everybody says they don't like change. People People don't mind change. What they don't like is losing something, right? Every time a new iPhone comes out, nobody minds change. Nobody's like, "Ah well, I'm, well, some people might hang on to their iPhone, you know five or something." But everybody's like excited, like, oh cool, like new features." And, and it takes a little bit to get used to the new features. But at the end of the day, people don't mind change. People don't want loss. When, you, when, when something changes, odds are you lose something. That's what people are afraid of. To be a disciple of Christ requires change in our person, in our inner self, which means what? We are going to lose something. What are we going to lose? Idols, indulgences, things that make us happy, that are sinful. Sin is good. Sin tastes good. That's why it's, that's why it's tempting. To become a person of love, to become uh, uh, transformed in the image of God, we will lose something, but it will be glorious. We will be able to stand with the saints one day and say, praise be to God. Thank you, Jesus, our Lord. Now, um, theologians, scholars, um, psychologists, anthropologists, they typically, pretty much everybody agrees that there are three primary ways people change. Three primary ways people change. And we're gonna go through these ways that people change here in a second. If you've heard this, good. We're gonna go through it again. And if you haven't heard this, good. We're gonna hear it for the first time. There are three primary ways that people change. So, let's back up again. Our goal is love God, love others. How do we do that? The Great Commission. Well, who's the Great Commission to? Disciples, you can't make disciples if you yourself are not a disciple. Well, how do you become a disciple? Repent and believe. Well, what does repentance and belief require? Change. Well, how do people change? Get the train of thought. How do people change? That's where we're at right now. The first way people change is through narratives, and these three ways are going to be up on the screen. Narratives, stories, you might know the word worldview. Everybody has a paradigm in which they view the world. Everybody believes stories about reality, stories about God, stories about themselves, narratives about themselves, and they view the world that way. If if you've heard of the the phrase uh, uh, paradigm shift, like, oh, my paradigm shifted, what happened? You probably heard a narrative, a story, a worldview that was like, oh, wow, my paradigm just shifted, my narrative just shifted, my worldview just shifted, and so you kind of change based on that. The enemy uses this to distort us, and the Holy Spirit uses this to form us. Here's what I mean by that, narratives. The enemy wants us to believe the narrative that God does not love us. The enemy wants us to believe the narrative that we don't have to trust God. Did God really say? The enemy wants us to believe the narrative that God is, is out there and, or not out there at all. And he has nothing to do with us. We live in a, a, a materialistic world and there's no spiritual interaction at all. The enemy wants us to believe the narrative that God just does not exist. And what is that doing that will deform us, that will make us not like Jesus? Now, how does the Holy Spirit use narratives? Well, the Holy Spirit primarily uses this. What is this but the narrative of God's love for us? The story of the scriptures remind us over and over again of truth. And truth always corresponds to reality. Which means what? That God is with us. God loves us. Now, it's a battle. But the more that we, as children of God, if we want to become disciples of God, the more we remind ourselves of these narratives of Scripture. The more we remind ourselves of the worldview, that God, the world is a good place. The world is a good place. Creation is a good thing. It's distorted by sin, but God is redeeming it through us. That's the good news. That's the narrative of Scripture. That will form us more and more into the image of God. So first, people change by narratives they believe. Second, they've changed by the relationships they're in. You might have heard the phrase, If you want to look at your future, look at your friends, right? Who who you are in five years will just be the books you read and the people you hang around with. My dad used to say, if you stand by an onion long enough, you'll start to smell like one. The point being, if you stand by, you know, if you have bad influences in your life, you're going to start to look like them, act like them, and if you're in middle school, probably even smell like them. But, um, no, nothing? Okay, great. Um, so, So the relationships that we are in form us. They either form us or they deform us. Now, again, to be a disciple means to be look to change, to repent and believe, to constantly change, and to look more like Christ. The enemy wants to use this in one of two ways. He wants to, like I mentioned earlier, he wants to surround us with relationships that are toxic, that will, that will deform you. He wants to surround you and put you in places where the relationships you're in are just constant gossiping at work so that you start to gossip at work. Or he wants to isolate us completely. As, child, uh, as children of God, the most weak and vulnerable places we can be in is when we are not surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how the enemy wants to deform us. Now, how does the Holy Spirit want to use relationships? His body. We are the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit brings us together. Think of where, we're, where you were a year ago to where we are now. We were not together a year ago. We are together now. The Holy Spirit brought us together so that we can be formed so that we can encourage one another. So that we can, we can uh, uh, exhort one another in truth. So that we can be friends. Now, this isn't to, to create a holy huddle so that we never actually interact with the world. No, but you can't, uh, it's abide and go. The pattern of, of, of discipleship in the Gospel of John is abide and go. Abide in me, Jesus says, and now go into the world. When we are with each other in relationships, being formed to look more like Jesus, we are there and then we, we go. So, We change based on the narratives we believe. We change based on the relationships we're in. And finally, we change based on the practices that we do. The practices that we do. Practices, that's an interesting word. I haven't been to soccer practice in a while. Why practices? You could substitute habits uh, also. You could maybe think of the word disciplines. Disciplines, habits, practices. We have the ability, God has given us the ability to do something to change our desires. Earlier I made a comment that said, most people believe you can't change. You, Oftentimes there's a lie, I can't change, That's just who I am. That's not true. You know how I know? Acquired taste. You ever heard of that phrase, acquired taste? Coffee, ch- uh, cherry tomatoes for me. You know, when I was in college, I was like, I should probably eat healthier. So every day I grabbed a plate of spinach and cherry tomatoes, nothing else. And eventually, I started to like spinach and cherry tomatoes. How? Why? The habit, the practice, doing it over and over and over again. God has given us, we are made in God's image. God has given us the ability to change what we like. You might like a sin right now. You might really like, you know, a a, a pet sin, as uh, Jerry Bridges calls it. You have the ability to change your desires to not want that sin anymore in your life And to look at christ and desire the things that he desires saint augustine says this love god and do what you want Right as in the more you are loving god the more you are changing the more you are practicing the way of jesus The more your desires in your hearts can actually change and follow that Now how does the enemy want to use practices? He wants to do it in two ways. He wants to turn it into legalism well, you have to do these things in order for Jesus to love you. Or he wants to turn it into addiction. He wants to take your practices and your habits in the way that we're wired as humans and he wants to say, well, just, you know, get in this downward spiral of addiction. The Holy Spirit wants us to use this by giving us practices that are forming us into the image of Christ. What are some of these practices? Well, we are very familiar with a few of them. Prayer. Prayer is a practice. The less you do it, the worse you get at it more you do it the better you get at it gathering weekly that's a practice hebrews says don't not gather right gathering weekly is a practice and what is this doing scripture reading scripture memory is a practice and what does that do that forms us it forms our minds it does something that will not yield its results for a year two years five years ten years but over the course of time as we practice prayer, as we practice reading scripture and memorizing scripture, as we surround ourselves with relationships that are God-honoring, as we remind ourselves of the narrative of scripture and God's love for us, we will be transformed into a disciple, somebody who follows Jesus so that, he, so that we can be able to do what Jesus did. Now, all of this is not possible except by what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. In Philippians, we looked, I think this is one of my new favorite passages. In Philippians, we looked at those two verses, Philippians 2.12 and 2.13. 2.12 said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What do we have to do? We have to work. I think one of the struggles of evangelicalism is saying, well, Jesus died in my place for my sins, which is true. And then the, the, the uh, result of that is, well, therefore, I don't have to do anything at all, which is not true. Jesus died for our sins, true. And now we are, comp- we are impelled and compelled by the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But it doesn't stop there because the next verse in Philippians says, why? Because God's working in you. Jesus said what? I have the authority. Then he says, you go. None of this is possible apart from the Holy Spirit. There's that famous quote, s- I've said it before, I'll say it again. Without God, man cannot. Without man God will not. Throughout history, God does not always impose himself on people. Not always. He sometimes does, but it's the exception, not the rule. If you're the captain of your own life, and you're living it, and you're loving it, God's gonna gonna let you go down that route. You read the book of Romans and what is the wrath of God? The wrath of God is him letting go and saying, fine, if that's what you want, go for it turning them over to the desires of their flesh. That's what the wrath of God is, according to Romans. So none of this is possible without the Holy Spirit. Um, back to Matthew 28. We change in three different ways. We change in the narratives we believe, the relationships we're in, and the practices that we do. That's what it means to become a disciple. He says that Jesus says this in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And this is our mission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then look what he says in verse 20. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. Some of your translations might say teaching them to obey everything I commanded. Growing up, I just thought it was teaching them everything I commanded. So the goal of making a disciple is just giving them the right content so that they can go work on it themselves. No, what, what does it mean to make a disciple? Teaching them to obey to observe everything that Jesus commanded. And here's the promise of God. Remember, I am with you always. God is with us. The beginning of Matthew starts by saying Jesus' name is Emmanuel, God with us. Do you believe that God is with you right now? Do you believe that God wants you to grow into his image? Do you believe that God is pursuing you? Do you believe that it's possible for you to change that sin pattern in your life, that relationship in your life, that knee-jerk reaction that you always have that you know is not of the Lord? Do you believe that you're able to be a disciple of Jesus? If so, the call is very clear. As Bonhoeffer says, it is, it is uh, simple, it is not easy. It's very simple. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. You cannot make disciples without being a disciple yourself. Now, those two things are not mutually exclusive, they go hand in hand. As you continually become a disciple, notice the continuation language. It's not, I have believed. I'm a disciple. What's next? We are a disciple for our entire lives. We are constantly becoming a disciple and we are constantly making disciples. That's our goal for 2023. That's our goal for 2023. So that by this time next year, we can say, All right, love God, love others. Amazing. How have we grown in our discipleship to Jesus? How have we grown in our spiritual formation? How have we reminded ourselves of the narratives we believe? How have we surrounded ourselves with God-honoring relationships and used them as accountability? And how have we done practices together as a community in order to be formed into the image of God? One of the uh, clearest example of formation, and this is one of the reasons we do this every single week, one of the clearest examples of formation is in the celebration of the Eucharist, the communion, right? Every week we do what? We gather together we read the word, we have the word read over us, and we celebrate communion. It's a practice. Why? Because every week we are tangibly reminding ourselves that Jesus gave his body for us, that Jesus gave his blood for us, that Jesus died for us, that Jesus Jesus lived in the kingdom of God, made the kingdom of God available for the good of others, and invited and made a way possible for people to enter the kingdom.